Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Happy Labor Day to all of our fans, friends, and followers here at Dark Night of the Podcast. I'm hoping that your holiday weekend was lovely and anything but laborious, and that you all were able to sit back and relax and possibly enjoy a classic horror movie, possibly in nothing but your tidy whities and a white cut-off t-shirt, you know casual day where Troy how was your labor day you know it was it was uneventful um I don't even remember half of it that's I'm getting old Roger you know I have a birthday coming up here real quick <sighs> and I'm getting old so I don't even really remember what I did labor day weekend all I know is I wasn't working and that was uh the break I definitely needed absolutely uh, I, I think I absolutely. just did stuff around the house and um Hung out with my dad and just kind of chilled. It was very relaxing. Excellent. And deserved after such a long few weeks. My goodness. And, you know, sat around in my um, thigh high, you know, granny panties. and Oh, yeah. The white tea bar. Yeah. <laughs> the white thong that, uh, that, <laughs> that uh, hospitals tend to provide, uh, mental hospitals tend to provide to their patients. The, the white high ride and... <laughs> Exactly, and just let them wander around the hallways wearing this skimpy little outfit, and no locking the doors, willy nilly, just letting them wander as though there's a, you know, nothing wrong with them whatsoever. Um, obviously, this is alluding towards. <laughs> oh well, one thing I did do this Labor Day weekend oh, okay. was watch this fucking movie. Oh, and how many times <laughs> did you watch it, Troy? Well, do you want to know how many times it took me to get through it the first yes. time? Yes, yes. About four. Uh, but then once I watched it all the way through, once I watched it again to take all my notes and stuff. But not that it's a bad movie. It, it is just overly long. Yeah. Uh, especially for like an 80s sort of slasher hybrid type film. It's almost two hours. I mean, it's pushing yeah. two hours. Yeah. And it feels it. It yeah. feels it. It's a little bit of everything. I'm going to say that. Like, it's hard to exactly pinpoint what break off of the horror genre this is. But um, it does. It's a long one, but it builds up to quite a oh, finale. Yeah, it's fun. So trying to watch it after a few drinks, I found myself dozing off and waking up about a half hour later and realizing I wasn't that much further in the movie than I was when I fell asleep. Um <laughs> <laughs> well, it's easy to wake up. I would th I would assume, seeing as this film is only set in one location, it's yeah. easy to wake up and figure that you're in the exact same place it you were when you left off. But we're getting carried away, Troy. We're we getting are. carried away. We got a few things to, to touch on before we launch into this week's title, um, which, you know, if you didn't listen to last week's week episode, you're an asshole. But you're also not aware, probably, of what 
movie it is we're reviewing. And we're going to get to that in a second. But first, I got to acknowledge a few things, a few things that, um, uh, you know, touch on our areas of interest. One of them is a uh, one of our former guests. I just got to say this. Gays, you understand why this is important to me. One of our former guests, Teresa Padone, the pop culture Persephone, recently did an episode on her podcast discussing the brand new HBO Max series um, reality show, F-Boy Island. Fuck Boy Island. And the show's great. It's just a bunch of dramatic nonsense. It's everything you could hope for uh, from one of those shows and then some. So she did, uh, did an episode reviewing it, talking about her love for it, and uh, somehow, someway, she managed to nab one of the fuckboys. So she just dropped an episode uh, interviewing contestant Israel from from um, Fuckboy Island. And it's worth I'm a listen. Gonna not, yeah, I'm going to nod and pretend I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. I really don't. I know you don't care, but let me tell you, there's gays out there who do. Oh. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I did. I'm one of those gays yeah. that just hasn't gotten with the gay program. I mean, I, I came late. I don't really even watch RuPaul's uh, Drag Race. Well, that's because Troy's on a regular basis. Troy's a bro. He's a mass gay. Troy's a mass I'm gay. A mass gay. <laughs> Shit, motherfucker, bro. Come on. Uh, no, but actually, I, I, I like Dragula. Yeah, I, mean, I do too. I think. And stay t- stay tuned to Houston Horror Film Festival. Oh, if, sh- we're not saying a word. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I like I like Dragula. Yeah. I just you know, but no, that's awesome. She was our guest when we did the episode on uh, Tamara. Tamara. <laughs> Tamara. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. great. Go back and listen check to out that. her podcast. Yeah, and then listen. Yeah, she does a lot of really cool podcasts, and she's really funny. Obviously, you know that if you listen to that episode, and she gets some great guests, and they really get into in depth conversations. I will have to check this episode out again. I'm not familiar with Fuckboy Island. It sounds. Right on my alley. Well, it is. Oh, Troy, you'll love it. And it's a good thing is that you only have to watch, I think, three episodes before. No spoilers, but spoilers. This guy's kicked off. But it's just enough to get a taste of what it was like on Fuckboy Island. So it's worth a listen. And Trace is great. Her show is wonderful. Good friend of mine. And she was a great guest. I suggest you guys go back and listen to the Tamara episode if you've not heard it already because she has some great commentary. Yeah, um, she does. But you did mention Dragula, which I think is kind of a cool segue, actually, to the next. Mm-hmm. It is. That's why I mentioned it. Topic. Because, yeah, um, we have a few friends within the film community who uh, directed a fabulous film uh, called Death Drop Gorgeous. And it is gayer than Christmas. I mean, it's everything a homosexual could dream of. It's drag queens, hot, muscular men with furry bodies, people, glory holes getting killed. I mean, it gives you everything and a bag of chips. And so this movie just got picked up for distribution and it's dropping, I think, is it this Friday? I believe it's this Friday. So I know I will be uh, purchasing it and downloading it and I can't wait yeah. to watch it. Uh, guys, seriously, check it out. I had the pleasure of watching it when they submitted it to the Houston Horror Film Festival where it was selected, screened, and won two awards. So you know it's you know it's a good film if the Houston Horror Film Festival awarded it. But not only that, yes, it's gay as all get out, but the guys who are involved in it are extremely just the nicest guys since they're well yeah yeah they're hot but 
They're all very attractive men, and that's not even macking on them. It's just a fact of the matter. They're eye candy, but and they're, they're super sweet. They're super sweet, well. every single one of them. Um, even though, yes, they are hot, yeah. and they, I really um, love their Instagram posts when they're <laughs> you know posting their little thirst traps. I, I hell, I I like every single oh. one of them. They know that, but. But they are, but they are sweethearts, and they are actually yes. super talented, super devoted, super passionate, and they're actually working on their uh, second feature film, Saint Drago. Drago, oh, it, uh, so it does look yeah. amazing. It look, I love. Here's the thing, is you know, I love the fact. I love when filmmakers do um, like show their versatility like right out of the gate. Yes, because Death Drop Gorgeous is very much a. Camp, camp. tongue in cheek, yeah. sort of just mm-hmm. camp. That's what we're going to call it. This one looks yeah. way yeah. more uh, serious, way more atmospheric. Uh, it looks amazing. Yes. So I love the fact. Well, the improvement yeah. in like their cinema quality and the improvement in their overall, like the scope of it, when you look at the locations, I don't even want to say improvement, just the um, expansion on their craft. Like you can tell that they wanted to take everything one step uh-huh. further. And like, even in the little bit of promo material they've released already, it's so clear that these guys are like going all in. And I give them so much credit. I don't think this could, this success would happen to a nicer group of guys. And um, I'm really happy that Death Drop Georges is getting the recognition and the release it deserves because it's getting some wonderful praise and it's been in so many film festivals. It really is. And it's really cool to see a, a such a heavily gay slash queer film getting as much positive attention as it is because this is, it is one of the gayer films that I probably have ever seen. Uh, And it doesn't hold back on its gayness, particularly in some of the death scenes, as you mentioned, but uh, it's just a great film guys. So check it out. Seriously. Death drop gorgeous. Uh, You will enjoy every second of it. Uh, it, It's camp. It's fun. You'll immediately just want to watch it again. Uh, So check it out. And, And guys, Death Drop, gorgeous guys, congratulations, sincerely on your success. Awesome. Huge congrats. And listeners, just, just you know, hinting at something, um, keeping it a little vague because we like to build up suspense here on Dark Night of the Podcast, but um, this may also be alluding to a potential guest mm. coming up in our near future. And what better time to have this guest in our near future uh, than around the time of their film being released to the public? So, I mean, the timing couldn't have been better because we had no idea this was going to drop until they announced it. But um, one of the Death Drop Gorgeous Boys will be a guest Don't spoil within the next few it, weeks. But I'm not saying who. I'm not saying who. I mean, no matter which one you get, it's a pick of the litter. I mean, they all <laughs> A, B, C, or D. I'll take any. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, we'll let you know here in a few weeks, guys, because we do want to keep yeah. a certain element of suspense, but um, just one of many guests coming up. And that, that's the episode I'm glad that we have the webcam on for. <laughs> this is like borderline sexual harassment. It, it is. My Sorry. God, we're so awful. But uh, listen, I can't deny a beautiful face. Um, <laughs> anyways. It's all in good fun. It's all in good fun. Although I'm going to be wearing, I will be wearing my crop top and panties during that, the recording of that episode. Just so you know. Just Guys, so you know. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. A majority of this review is going to be devoted to <laughs> Troy and I bringing up a certain wardrobe choice that the lead female character wears. Oh, bless And we God. might as well get into it because I have been hanging on this all week. I can't wait oh to talk about it. Oh, my God. How many times have we sent each other a screenshot of her? <laughs> I would say at least once a week, Troy sends me a screenshot oh, no, of this Oh, no, once gal. a day. Once, once a, or a day. once a day. Troy sends me a screenshot Multiple of this broad. 
in her six thirty in the morning. I'm sending you a screenshot. Yeah. This is me on my way to work. Exactly. Troy will be like, ah, oh, just getting ready for work. It's this outfit. We'll get to it. I mean, I want to. I want to leave again a certain element of suspense for this review um, because the review for today is the somehow overlooked masterpiece of suspense and horror that is known as Dead Pit or The Dead Pit, whichever you prefer. It is a movie from 1989, and it was uh, the directorial debut of Brett Leonard, and also written Mm -hmm. by Brett Leonard, well, co-written by Brett Leonard. He directed the 2005 Man-Thing film. I believe, was that sci-fi? I think that was a sci-fi movie. It was sci-fi. And he also did The Lawnmower Man, which is a title that a lot of people are torn on, but it's still kind of iconic in its own right. But The Lawnmower Man also starred the dreamy Jeremy Slate, who was very handsome in his youth, who also stars in The Dead Pit as Dr. Swan. However, I have to bring up, he also directed a 2005 film called Feed. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Is, is this the feeder film? If you have never seen it. I've seen it. it. Yes. Oh my Yes. God. It's disturbing as fuck. So if you've never seen it, check it out. It's real. If you want a disturbing film, it is really a disturbing mm-hmm. film. And we got, we got, you got penises in a frying pan. You got 900 pound women being force fed donuts. You got, I mean, it's, it's pretty disturbing. You've also got a pretty good ass shot. I remember the ass shot because he has like a back tattoo. The premise is basically a guy that's obsessed with like feeding women, but he in, in getting them, you know, obese, but then he like kills them. It's it's pretty yeah. It's pretty graphic, it's pretty disturbing, but it's I, I when I saw he directed this, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Really? Yeah, he has a pretty diverse list of work. Uh he has a lot of indies under his belt, but there are a few titles that are pretty recognizable, especially to horror fans. The lawnmower yeah. man. I mean, that's oh, Stephen absolutely. King. Come on, if you get a chance to, yeah, the second you get a chance to direct a Stephen King adaptation, you know you've kind of made it yeah, a little bit. Definitely, and yeah, this guy has a very, um, I don't want to say like groundbreaking style, but there are a few stylistic choices that are kind of consistent throughout his works. And this movie, while it's obviously pretty low budget, and it is his directorial debut, so you know he's obviously has grown from this film. I've got to say it's pretty competent in the execution of the film. Uh, there's some really fantastic lighting choices. A lot of the cinematography is pretty appealing. It's all set within one location, which can kind of get bland uh, because it's very similar, but it still has a very large scope to it. It doesn't really feel like a cheap movie. No, not at all. Not at all. I agree. Yeah, and I think actually the single the single location plays in its favor uh, because they really make they really he really knows how to u- utilize the location to to create a just a creepy unsettling atmosphere throughout the film. Yeah, well, the whole film is set in a, a hospital, a mental hospital. And I've got to say, like right away, right off the bat, it gets points for me because I love a movie set in a hospital. Uh, Halloween two. One of my favorites. In some ways, I almost feel it's more effective than than the original Halloween, just because the whole there's something so bleak about a hospital. I mean, it's obviously just your mind associates it with death, but the just the overall look. You know, they're always so bland and so like drab, and they just have such like a sadness to them, and that always translates when you film in them. And so I think that this setting really works, like you said, in this movie's favor because. 
the overall energy of the film has kind of like this melancholy to it. The story that follows this female lead as she's kind of trying to figure out who she is. She's suffering from amnesia. We'll get into it. But her whole journey is very um, tortured. Like she's really convinced that uh, her memories have been intentionally ripped from her. She doesn't have amnesia. They've been surgically removed. And there's this whole idea that carries through the whole film. So we'll we'll get to that when we start dissecting her character further. But uh, I do think this location is really, like you said, it, it enhances the film. It adds for a great environment. And this campus is massive. This hospital is gigantic. So it really does make this film feel big, like a big production. Um, the credit sequence is an intercut sequence that really establishes all of the backstory. I mean, they give us all of the backstory through this credit sequence that plays out. Like, it'll cut to a title, it'll cut to a name, and then it'll cut to another chunk of this evolving story where you find out what's happening. Yeah, the opening shot is the sign of the... All it says is a sign. It's a State Institute for the Mentally Ill. And then we get several shots of, because it's a mental hospital, we have to have the stereotypical mental patients. There's the guy screaming in his room. There's one laughing hysterically, flipping all over his bed. There's one telling the doctor he wants him to hold his calls. Uh, so you get all the, the, the gamut of the mentally ill patients. Then we get introduced to our two doctors that kind of carry the film. They're they're sort of the prota- an- antagonist, protagonist of the film, minus the uh, female character that's introduced. But we get Dr. Gerald Swan and Dr. Colin, right? Yeah. And there's a scene where Gerald goes up to Colin. He's like, I can't cover for you anymore, Colin. It's very... I don't know. I got the, the way he delivers a line and how close they are. I just got a, like a gay porn vibe from it. I'm like, okay, these two are about to fuck. We say it every time that we don't intend to like, no, find these no. gay, you know, subtext. But my God, like right off the bat, it does. It feels like a gay soap opera. It feels like they are having a lover's quarrel and that we're just being launched right into this like tumultuous argument. Uh, it does feel very gay. And maybe that's because you and I are gay, Troy, or maybe it's just because the 80s were a very gay time. Because my question would be, if there's not something going on between these two, and even the way they look at each other is like with a lot more than just like, oh, we're doctor colleagues. There's something going on there because Colin likes takes a step to him and he says, you don't have to. My question is, if you're a if you're a doctor that's running this hospital, why would you even cover for this guy in the first place, knowing that he's killing patients, unless there's some something going on between the two of them, right? Oh, absolutely. They almost have like a Professor X Magneto kind of like lovers hate for each other. That does carry the entire film. It is a through story that maintains to the end. Well, and then he uh, then Gerald just lets the guy go, lets lets Colin go into one of the uh, patients' room and and basically kill him (laughs) i do need to point out real fast that you mentioned the patients in general like you're given these opening shots of these people in this asylum and if there was ever an oscar for a featured cat like a a featured extra (laughs) give it to these guys because they're working overtime every extra in this movie is stealing the show i mean watch it once and then watch it again for just the extras because everybody's got their own personality and it's turned up to a hundred. 
Oh yeah, they know. They're looking at the camera. They're cheesing it up. They're doing whatever they can to make the most out of their five seconds of screen time. Aside from this one guy who's about to die. Well, yeah. He, all he does is stand there and let the doctor come and shove this. Like, what is it? It's a. It's like a eye pick that they would use for like lobotomies, I believe. Yeah, but he sh- yeah he shoves it through this guy's eyeball and drags him down in the in the cellar. And then he which like, is fireman carries him over his shoulder, and this yeah. is like not a small man. Well, and here's the thing is, all this is going on, the opening credits are still going. Uh, the opening credits go for about, 20, <laughs> for about 20 minutes. And it was my first indication that somebody did not know the concept of like editing or not dragging things out to the extreme. Because if this film, and we will get there, trust me, but I'm just going to say, because it was the opening credits that I kind that kind of caught my attention about this, is if this film has any major drawback to it it's that there are scenes that go on way too long this film could have been easily 25 to 30 minutes shorter and it would have been probably more effective yeah i will say that like by the end of this movie you as the viewer will know every nook and cranny of this hospital as though you've been in it as though you've got a a map (laughs) of a map diagram of it in hand because the running sequences i mean Oh, over, over hill and under valley. These fuckers are thorough with their running sequences. They use every fucking inch of this building. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's one of those things where the director is probably super stoked, especially this being his first film, that he got such a kick-ass location. And I could just see him being like, I'm going to use every fucking inch of this and nobody's going to tell me different. And I guarantee you there there is an editor somewhere being like, dude, we need to cut this these running sequences down. And the director's like, hell no, you are not touching those, motherfucker. I'm making the use of this location. Yeah. At least they I will say they look good. Like they do some great lighting. They do. They're filmed and yeah, and they're filmed they're filmed competently, at least. It's not some cheesy running, you know, sequences that you see in a lot of low budget slashers that actually there's effort put into the filming. And that the lead actress, she's the one that's mostly running through the whole film. It's pretty she's pretty competent and um she does she delivers a pretty good performance. But as this Jer as this Colin guy is carrying this, he carries this body of this intern or inmate he just killed down the stairs of the cellar which is like everything in this movie the longest fucking staircase in the history of staircases i was wondering why is this hospital's basement so fucking deep underground they are walking down staircase after staircase after staircase after staircase it's like five minutes of walking down the damn stairs before he gets there, carrying this body over his damn shoulder. Where has this guy been working out at that he can do this? This fucker is strong. All he really does over the course of this film is loom in the shadows and intimidate people or firemen carry bodies. Like This guy can pick up someone like they're a, like a light sack of flour and carry them like it's nothing. I don't know. Maybe it's part of the spell he's casting. Who knows? But yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. But like most elements of this film, you kind of like toss it aside and accept it for what it is. Because if you can have like a little bit of like a sense of humor about things, it is a really enjoyable experience. It's fun as fuck. It's just absurd. Know it right now. This movie's fucking absurd. Nothing really makes sense, but it builds up to something crazy. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) 
Yeah. So he takes, he finally reaches the basement. He puts the body on a slab. This basement is like full of, it's a pit. It's that's, I get that's where the title came from dead pit because it's, this pit is full of skulls and dead bodies just everywhere. The patient's sitting on the table. Now the Colin guy has cut part of his head off. So his brain's exposed. Somehow, you know, Colin has creeped down the basement to find, um, or not Colin, Gerald, Dr. Swan, has crept down the basement to the location and sees the um, the body on the table, on the slab, and confronts Colin about it. And what happens, Roger? Because this is what kind of... A lover's quarrel. Another lover's quarrel that ends in it's death. It's another lover's quarrel. <laughs> this, um, this whole argument culminates in Dr. Swan taking out a gun and shooting Dr. Ramsey, Colin Ramsey, uh, in the head. And he drops into the dead pit. Proper title for the movie, because it really does revolve around a dead pit, a pit of dead bodies. So it gives you just what you asked for. Um, And there you go. I mean, for such a long, drawn-out sequence, the conclusion to this chunk of the story is rather abrupt. They have a little argument. He what? gets shot in the head. Yes. Boom, we're done. And and the credits are still rolling. Yes. And we get a we get a, a little shot of him. Doctor Swan basically cements the room sh- shut, yes. so that he basically cements the bodies in this room and doesn't speak of it. And anymore. apparently, nobody is concerned about. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about like the missing doctor. Nobody cares about the missing patients. Nobody inquires about anything um, because all of a sudden, before you know it, it's what, it's like twenty years later. I think twenty. Yes, we even get the nice title card that says twenty years later, and we see a bus or a van uh, taking a group of women to the hospital. And all of these women are very rough. They're somehow chain smoking, even though I would not anticipate that. You know, in, individuals in an institution would be allowed access to cigarettes, but everybody in this mental hospital chain smokes. Um, but one of them is not like the others, and she's a beautiful fawn-eyed vixen named Jane Doe. She's named Jane Doe because she was found wandering the streets with no memory of who she is. We learned this here in a little bit, but um, she is a lovely, lovely individual. She's absolutely beautiful, and um, she's played by, oh, God, what's her name? It's Cheryl. God, I'm trying to think. She's really not a bad actress. You can tell she's, like, trying to do the best she can. It's Cheryl Lawson. It's Cheryl Lawson. Yeah, Yeah. Cheryl Lawson. She's not really done a ton of stuff, but I feel like I watched this, and I'm kind of shocked that she didn't, like, kind of fall more into this final girl hall of fame because, honestly, like, her character... I wouldn't say she's the strongest actress ever, but she's really trying and she is given all. She runs the gamut with all of the emotions she has to show. She cries, she screams, she runs, she weeps, she falls, she fights. She gives all of it. And she's really like, she's working her ass off in this movie. I got to give kudos to Cheryl Lawson on this role because um, she almost gives me like Christy Cotton vibes from Hellraiser. But if Christy Cotton like, it was, it was like the porn version of Hellraiser. And Christy Cotton was like the lead porn actress. 
getting railed by like a Hellraiser with a dick that has nails in it. I don't know. You know, you get what I'm saying. You know those porn parodies. She she has the big Chrissy Cotton hair, the big, the thick eyebrows, the wide-eyed expressions of fear, the the same kind of screams and sobs. She's very similar. I wonder if they kind of drew influence from her character. They they look very, very. similar. Too, and even like the storyline, it's similar to like this the element of the sequel of, of Hellraiser 2 where she's in the mental asylum, you know? Like there's a similar even vibe to the character arc. I do want to mention it. I don't I don't know who it is. For the life of me, I could not think of who it is. And if, if you know Roger or if one of my... If one of our listeners agrees with me and, and can tell me who it is, it would make my day because I literally racked my brain and I even re- rewind some of her dialogue and listen to it again. She sounds exactly, exactly like another actress from a horror film. And I cannot for the life of me think of who it is. I kind of thought it was like Nancy from Nightmare. Yeah. That, like, oh, students, is it, you may be She's right. got kind of a Heather. Yes. Yeah. I don't think that's who I was thinking of, but I can see that too. Yeah, like you know how they both have those moments where like, why are you understanding? Yeah, me? and like it, it has kind of a flatness to it. Yeah, almost. I'm not. I don't think that's who I was thinking of, but I can see that. There, her voice sounds very similar to like this open this this dialogue she has with the nurse where she's like, "My, I don't have amnesia," and like you sound so much like an, I cannot think of who it is. But if you, if, I was thinking the same thing. If anybody agree can think can give throw out some names of who you think she sounds like if you've seen this film, please let me know because I literally laid in bed last night. I'm not lying, Roger. I laid in bed last night trying to think of who it was so I could mention it on the podcast, and it never came to me. And I d- didn't fall asleep until like four, and I had to get up at like five. So uh, that's how two I sp- nights from now. That's how I spend you're gonna my wake up. That's how I spend my nights, guys. I don't sleep because Dark Knight of the podcast consumes me. Two nights from now, Troy, you're going to wake up and you are going to be like, oh my God, <laughs> you're going to know it out of nowhere. It's going to come to you. It'll be too late. But we'll mention it next episode. Can we get to Nurse Kiger, please? Oh, that fucking wench. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so she's dropped off. Uh, Jane is dropped off at this hospital and she's brought in and it's clearly not the most pleasant environment, but they're pretty loose with their rules here. Let's be real. I mean- They're letting them- they're letting them do whatever they want. I These mean, fuckers are wandering around. Like I said, they're chain smoking, smacking each other, flipping their shit. Nobody seems to care. Um, the only one who does really seem to care is, as you mentioned, Nurse fucking Kiger, who's a demon wench from hell. And I can't stand her, but she's got this bitchy fucking face that just... <laughs> it tells a thousand words, her expressions. But uh, she is not pleasant. And I would not be pleasant either working in this fucking hellhole. Like, it is honestly in disarray they need to have stricter rules here there's no yeah there's no order there's no they're, they're, the, the patients are literally just running around doing whatever they want and nurse kiger is trying to like control her to control the situation but nobody really seems to care except her uh and she immediately interviews gets um jane jane doe into her office and interviews her about uh why she's there and Jane is adamant that she does not belong there and that she does not have amnesia, that her memories were stolen from her. And Nurse Kiger is just looking at her like, yeah, whatever, bitch, you belong here. You're a ward of the state. They told you were put here for a fucking reason. Shut up. And as 
Jane starts screaming and carrying on, and Earthquake erupts. <laughs> uh, the timing couldn't be better. <laughs> well, it's funny because, like, you have this patient that's like, Jane is like screaming and she's shaking everywhere. And Nurse Kyger gets up and she's like, move and pushes her out of the way to run past her to get to safety. I'm like, oh, you're a bitch. This is another scene that I, I implore you, listeners, keep your eyes on the extras because they are really grabbing the spotlight with this scene. There are women against the wall seizuring. There's one <laughs> woman with a, a cigarette just hanging out of her mouth, just up against the wall, like pulsating. You can tell they're like, all right, everybody, there's going to be an earthquake. Pretend like you're in an earthquake and go. And like that's all the direction they gave them because these fuckers are falling all over each other. It really makes the scene. But um, while all this nonsense is happening, Jane starts to have what is pretty much like a panic attack uh, where she falls to the ground and she starts screaming and she starts reacting. And, and it really makes it kind of clear that this earthquake is somehow, some way, possibly tied to her presence in this hospital. Yeah, she starts screaming and luckily they sedate her ass and shut her up because, yeah, I was about ready to shut the TV off. She, ah! So they sedate her. They throw her in her, they throw her, in her room. And this, Roger, this is when the bitch wakes up in her crop top and panties. Okay, guys, listen. (laughs) This is, if there's one thing to take away from this movie, if there's one thing that I'd say this movie is known for, it is this costume choice. And we're probably going to spend, I don't know, roughly 10 minutes just dissecting this alone. If I were to think of the appropriate garb to assign a patient in a mental institution. I would think they would be given something along the lines of like, I don't know, a a loose t-shirt and a sweatpant with those socks with the ribbing on the bottom. You know the ones I'm talking about. And that's it. Nothing sexy. These are clothes that they don't hug your physique. It's not meant to make you look in any way appealing The creators of this film decide to take some liberties and construct an ensemble for Jane that was both hospital appropriate, I guess, while also being very, very sexualized. I mean, I cannot think of a wardrobe choice in another movie that is, unless it's like a lingerie number, that is more sexy than what this poor girl is wearing. And I'm really trying to imagine like the fitting, like when she goes in for her costume fitting first day on set and they're like, okay, here's your medical, like here's your hospital wardrobe, try it on. And she opens up what's like maybe like a small Ziploc bag to reveal what is a white t-shirt that has been, like it's a crop top. Like her her torso is revealed. There's like full belly button and a pair of high riding hip-hugging white panties that are basically a T-bar. Like, it's borderline thong. No hospital would ever assign this underwear to anybody. It is such... It's the sexiest granny panties I've ever seen. Yes, and she is allowed to just wander around the uh, the hospital in this get-up. And she's not wearing a bra, so, I mean, you're getting a full view. Well, Headlights are on. Yeah. Nurse Robbins comes into her room, and we get... Introduced to Nurse Robbins, who's who's the sweet, you know, sort of, you know, down to earth, caring nurse. She's the antithesis of Nurse Kiger. And to tell uh, 
Jane that she has an appointment with Dr. Swan or Dr. Swan Gerald the next day. Yeah. And during this appointment, basically she tells the doctor that someone took her memory that she remembers being on an operating table and someone basically cutting, cutting her memory out of her. Um, I don't know. That's what she says. Yeah, she's very adamant that it's not amnesia, and she says it time and time again. It's not amnesia. They were stolen from me. <laughs> she says like the same piece of dialogue and over and over and over. Nobody believes her because it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. That is one aspect of the movie that doesn't make sense because we are led to believe that yes, that really happened, but the question then remains is how, since this fucking doctor was cemented in a goddamn room the entire time up until the earthquake happened. So how was he able to I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, I mean, this movie isn't necessarily one that gives you a lot of answers by the end of it, guys. Let's be clear on that. It's not like all of the strings are tied up. There's a lot of loose strings by the end of this movie. But um, she has her appointment. It starts to give you a basic idea of what's going on with her. And and, and Dr. Swan is um, pretty adamant that she's, you know, just suffering from amnesia and that it's something that her stay there is going to be helpful for her. But you can tell that she's aware that there's something more going on. Um, after this appointment, uh, there is a sequence where she's walking and in the background you see <laughs> a hand. And this is a, it's a brief shot, but I just want to mo- mention it because I actually really love the hands on the, the creatures in this film. Uh, it, it's simple, but they've, um, you know, they're dead bodies. As you'll, as you'll come to find out, the, the, the malevolent force in this is, uh, is kind of almost zombie-like, I suppose. Um, and so they've got like these long grown out claws. They're nails, you know, they're nails. Cause when after you die, your nails keep growing and they do a really great job of like depicting the creatures in this film. And it almost gives me a vibe of the hands of the demons in films like demons, <laughs> you know, which we have reviewed here. Uh, it has a very similar look to it, but they're really effective. And you got, you get a lot of first perspective shots from the, the creatures, you know, point of view. Um, and it makes for a really effective viewpoint. I agree. And it's very interesting that you mentioned demons because I even have a specific note that the last 15 minutes of this film are very demons-like. You can totally tell that demons influenced this film in, in a lot of ways, particularly, like I said, the last 15 minutes. So I'm glad you caught you, you kind of caught on to that as well. There's one specific shot in this film that is almost... I don't want to say like ripped off, but it's definitely demons oh, yeah. inspired. And you probably know which one I'm talking about. I have the exact same note. To yeah. Be honest. So, I mean, but I love demons. So, yeah, I'm not so do I. Out. And I, I love that this director, I mean, he, he, I don't think he was ripping anything off. I think he was definitely trying to pay homage to it, which I, yeah. I appreciate. Uh, this movie, I can say 100% certainty is not a ripoff of any other movie because it is so just. <laughs> It's not your traditional Putin bananas. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's basically a a a a combination of all these different horror genres that you don't usually see meshed together. If that makes sense, like 
and we'll get we're gonna get there, but I'm just saying like this film is like it's part slasher film, it's part zombie film, it's part demon film, it's part crazy doctor film. I mean, and, and they're all just like crammed together. A lot of it doesn't stick, it's not cohesive, but by God, does it make for a fun viewing? I also love the fact that when she's walk when she gets back into the the main room again. This film wants to hit you over the head with the fact that these people are in a mental hospital because, again, you're introduced to all the different stereotypes of what you would consider mentally ill patients. You have people screaming, rolling around on the floor, talking to themselves. You have that one lady who is throughout the film, her only line to say is, have you seen my cat? Where's my cat? Where's my cat? She said every time you see her, she's wanting to know, do you know where my cat is? Where's my cat? You're introduced to Sister fucking Claire, another nun. Oh, we got another nun. Well, you're introduced to Chris. Oh, man. Let me tell you, I would say Chris is in the top three of hottest male leads in a film we've reviewed thus far. This fucker. I love his accent, A. Yeah. Yeah. B, yeah, he's easy on the eyes. Yeah. He's charming as fuck. Oh. What's he doing in a goddamn mental institution? But, well, that's the thing is we find out that he – because she even – because uh, Jane even asks him when she meets him. Well, Nurse Nurse Robbins is talking to him. You can tell Nurse Robbins is completely smitten with him. And she's a pretty, you know, girl. Yeah. And she's – She's the most likable character. She is. And she she's yeah. smitten with, 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 with this Chris guy. And she tells Jane, oh, you better watch out for him. And they start to talk. And even as they're talking, Jane is like – why are you here? You don't seem crazy. And he basically tells a story that he's not crazy. He basically has a, he likes blowing shit up and he got caught. Like that's not going to come in handy later. Foreshadowing. On. Yeah. He, he got caught <laughs> blowing something up and instead of serving jail time, his, his lawyer basically got him to be able to serve time in this mental institution, which he thought would be an easier route than to sit in jail. Yeah, fuck that shit. <laughs> Absolutely not. With these fuckers, like, if, give me three days of this and I'd be like, okay, put me in isolation for my rest of my stay. Because the people in this as, this asylum are all very stereotypical patients. Nobody seems realistic at all. It makes for great entertainment, but it's almost borderline offensive, as we've talked about before with movies like this. It's sort of like they are trying to... I want to say this word again. Be comedic, almost. No, 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 no. I, I'm going to say the word homage. I'm going to, they, they're going to. They're trying to homage one flew over the cuckoo's nest, right? Yeah. With with all the different, you know, larger than life characters that are in the mental institution. You even have Nurse Kiger, who is very much a parallel to Nurse Ratchet. Very much, yeah. But I don't. I I don't think they they do it as sympathetically as sort of that subject matter requires, if that makes any sense. And it does come off as a little bit borderline offensive. And maybe it's maybe during the time period, we've talked about this before films are very much of their time period. This is 1989. So this was certainly before all of the, everybody getting offended over films. The big PC movement. Yeah. 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 So, but I say now looking at it and kind of knowing you know, where we're at in the terms of like understanding mental health and how you treat people with mental health issues. This movie very much, I feel is very stereotypical. Whereas I thought like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, which I, 
really think this movie was trying to at least have some connection to or using it as influence. Did it very uh, delicately. This one does not. Oh, this movie does not do anything delicately. No, because even right away, because even in the scene, you get the character of Bud, who is like this antsy, like just sort of like the Billy uh, character in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Antsy, nervous, and he wants a cigarette, and he's like just being ridiculously big with every choice he makes. Which another thing about Christian that I want to acknowledge is, I almost feel like his, like the guy that played Christian and the character are very like parallel. Because he's the best actor in the movie. He's, uh, like we said, extremely attractive. It's almost like you see him in this film and you're kind of like, what are you doing in this? Like, how did they cast you in this film? You are mama-like. I mean, you're looking good. You're doing all the right things. Out of all the people to be in this asylum, I would not anticipate this guy. So he definitely is the strongest. But I guess, you know... No, I no, I I was told I totally am with you. I'm all about Chris in this film. That's a, he's a daddy that I hey put me in a padded room with him for a little bit. But I also feel like on the flip side of that, the actress that plays oh yeah. Jane is yeah. totally out of place. She is gorgeous. She looks like yeah. she should be competing in the Miss USA pageant, walking down the hallway in her her little panties and her crop top. Everyone else in this film is very just like bland looking and like just they're they're not attractive Uh, so it's very interesting to see these two leads that are super attractive and nobody seems to like bat an eye about it yeah in a way it does feel intentional because her whole consistent you know throughout the whole course of the film is the fact that she's not supposed to be there and it's hard for you to not acknowledge that when all you see is this chick this gorgeous girl in a freaking porn ensemble bouncing around you know and everybody just acts like it's normal you know not, nobody even acknowledges that she is probably the most beautiful person <laughs> within a certain radius of the building you know she's absolutely stunning yeah you ever step foot in the building absolutely yeah she's stunning and uh, it does stick out like a sore thumb but it, it does fit with these characters they both give reason like why they're not supposed to really be there so it almost seems intentional that they're the only two other than nurse jessica you know nurse uh uh is it robin's Robbins, I was confused yeah. about that, but yeah. we were we were getting there. Yeah, but the, those three are all very attractive. Yeah, you brought up you brought up Sister Claire. This is where we're we're introduced to her out, outside. She is a she's a, a I don't know if she's a real nun. Apparently, she's in a nun garb. Well, no, she's wearing like a she's wearing like a freaking hospital gown on her head, like a habit. she's wearing a habit. Yeah, and she's out in the yard on her knees praying, and everyone's like making fun of her. Even Chris is like, oh. Oh, nurse Cl- sister Clara. Yeah, and she just throws holy water at people like violently, like blessing them against their will, which is important. It does come back into play. Um, I do like that there's a few characters in this that you don't even anticipate are going to like kind of be incorporated into the finale who do come into play. Um, it's it's interesting how they choose like their final focus characters at the end of the movie. But yeah, Sister Claire does play a bit of a pivotal role towards the end of the film. Jane, this is where J- when when Sister Claire is outside screaming and everyone's kind of like carrying on about it, this is when Jane basically goes into a trance sort of and just starts screaming about somebody stop it and we don't know really what she's talking about. 
Uh, so they take her and put her in her, her room. And, and then the next scene is her waking it's like up a dream to, sequence. yeah, her waking up to nurse Kiger who has her tied in a sh- tied hands above her head <laughs> in her crop top and her panties. And this scene, this, oh my God. I love watching this. I just watched it over and over again. I would, I would watch this on loop for about three hours straight. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. First of all, nurse Kiger is, there's almost in a like they almost allude to the fact that she might like kind of be in on things in a way, um, and she's featured in like this dream sequence that she has where she's Nurse Kiger is very much like the malevolent force in this. So I almost had a vibe that Nurse Kiger was maybe like secretly like a demon in disguise, um, <coughs> and this this sequence it like really goes places I did not anticipate because it starts off with this shot of like nurse Kiger and she's like up against this like green lighting background and her mouth is like gaping open. She does this weird thing with her mouth a few times in the movie. That's actually very creepy. It feels like something out of like invasion of the body snatchers. Um, and she's just glaring at her and all of a sudden Jane is like tied up by her wrists in a very sexual manner, mind you between like two like showers. It's like she's in like a stall shower of like a bathroom area. And Nurse Kiger like takes like a like a fire hose and turns it up to like full pressure and starts just <laughs> blasting. Blasting. It's so ridiculous. Jane. It's 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 so like gratuitous. Cause it's like a it's first it's like a wet t-shirt contest. Like you immediately see her knockers through the shirt but then she like turns it up to full blast and it just blows the shirt off <laughs> like she's tits out screaming the shirt just gets ripped off and nurse Kiger's just having a grand old time oh she's laughing her ass off and it's this evil like <laughs> yeah her, and then her she starts flipping and flopping flip. and then she starts spraying <laughs> her in the face and it does start to go like you almost start to see her skin peel back for a split yes, second, and then it cuts away. It cuts away to her waking up and screaming, realizing it was just a dream. But I will say, like, some scenes are, like, subtle with their sexuality and nudity. This is one of the least subtle sequences I've ever seen. Like, it is just gratuitous nudity for the sake of having it. It doesn't do anything or lend anything to the story, but it is extremely entertaining. No, it's almost like because it just it, I was actually kind of surprised that they showed tits because like nothing else in this film is that sexually explicit. I mean, minus the sort of get up that this character is wearing throughout the film, you never again outside of this one little what 30 second, probably 30 second, 40 second scene get any sort of gratuitous nudity and i'm wondering if they just threw it in there because they're like oh well you know this is a a a slasher film or a horror film we better show some movies because you like you said it really does it does nothing there's no point to it at all well it almost is like i don't want to say it takes away from the movie but this film does not lean on or depend on sexuality to tell the story it's not like there's like oh and then we need to like 
make an offering of a beautiful nude virgin to the demon, or or she has to have sex in order for the spell to be cast. Like, sex is not tied into anything. And if they didn't choose to adorn her in <laughs> this lack of garment, this very small, tiny outfit, and, you know, have this one weird moment of sexualization, this character wouldn't need it. Like, her character, her her story arc is so not sexualized. Even her, like, little bit of a budding romance with the character of Christian, it's not at all sexualized. If anything, he's just more takes care of her. So I, I feel in a way her sexualization in the parts it is uh, pushed on the audience, it kind of, like, it doesn't do the movie any favors. It makes it a little more of a joke than it really would have been, I think. Does that make sense? It does. I'm, I mean, I'm calling it now. I feel like the only the only reason this scene exists in this film is to show tits. That's it. Because even even with the hint that you like you mentioned at, when you as we introduced the scene that you thought that uh, Nurse Kiger was a demon or whatever, a part of the, the the plan, we find out by the end of the film that that's not the case. So there was really no reason to even show her in this like evil, maniacal light because it's really not what it is in reality. Right. So it's basically yes. The scene was to let's show her tits. Okay, great. You showed your tits. Let's, I mean, good it for you. It feels almost like they went back and shot something. Like, I can honestly see that first dream sequence ending. Like, she opens the door. There's Nurse Kiger. She does that crazy scream with the green lighting. I can see it ending there. I almost feel that they went and, I mean, I can't prove this, but tell me it doesn't feel like they went in and filmed that just because, like, someone in the you know, at the screening room said, well, it's fine, but I need some tits. And like, you know what I mean? Like it, it really feels like it was just shoehorned in there. Uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it wasn't in the original draft of the script uh, because yeah, nothing else about this movie screams sexuality other than what they put the poor actress through in that fucking outfit. Yeah. And after this scene ends, you do get a scene of like the hands, the, 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 the hands with the long fingernails are, are going through like drawers and getting like pulling weapons and doctor masks. Like you see the hand open the drawer and pull out the, I don't even know what it is. It's a, it's a, it's the thing that he killed the guy at the beginning with. It's, it's, it's a piece of wood with a long needle or piece of metal sticking out of it so you like hold it and you it's yeah, like a lobotomy yes. pick. yeah where they stick it through the socket of the eye so he grabs that and you're like okay well what what's gonna happen and i gotta point out here that like these delicate demonic hands with these large acrylic nails are like you know fumbling through things and filing through things and grabbing weapons and so forth and then they like proceed to like pick up some rubber gloves and like put them on but like these nails are so long that the nails just stab right through the tips of the fingers so you've got these like gloved hands with these really long nails it's very uh very fancy and then it takes the ring and it puts that fucking ring over the rubber glove which is like is that not defeating the purpose why was it wearing rubber gloves in the first place just to look more doctorly to be surgical <laughs> i was like are you trying to you're not why are you you're dead why are you trying to hide your fingerprints I mean, and your nails are extremely long, so they're tearing through them. 
he is basically in full doctor garb now. Uh, now we get we cut to Nurse Robin, who we found out her name is Jessica. Now I'm sorry, this got confusing because th- there's a moment where this orderly comes and calls her Jessica, right? But like, I swear to God, there's a moment yeah, where yeah. she says her name is Robin, and then everyone calls her Nurse Robins. But if you go back, I'm telling you, people, go back and listen. There is a moment where she says her name is Robin. I'm Robin. But then she's called Jessica and Nurse Robin. So apparently this bitch has like five names. I don't know which one it is. We're just going with Nurse Robins. I feel like they forgot what the, this character's name was supposed to be. Um, but she is a a very a, a deary character. I really liked her a lot. And she's, she's what happens to her yeah. is not fair. I mean, she's the first one to kick to be killed, but she is working overtime, Roger, because, and I could relate to this bitch. She promised herself a trip to New Orleans for the Mardi Gras. I'm like, you go Jessica Robin Robbins. <laughs> I really like some of the little dialogue moments between some of the staff. She's, in this can we, she is super natural. She's very natural. She's a very natural she's actress. So she's like this really warm smile and she just has this very like, likable energy and i think they probably did cast her as the character that is the first to go on purpose because i mean let's just let the cat out of the bag you see almost every character that dies you see them come back in a zombie-like form later in the film so for this character because she's so warm and so likable when you see her later in the it makes that transition more jarring and more shocking because she has a few pretty cool sequences and what what ends up the reveal of what's done to her looks pretty gnarly so it, it does make you feel something for her because she really doesn't have a ton of screen time uh compared to some of the other characters but she leaves um an impact her presence is very warm and very likable and uh yeah it, it's a bummer because she does end up being the first one to go yeah, she runs into Jane, who is basically walking to the bathroom in her panties and crop top. And Robin, being the the sweet, you know, caring nurse that she is, is like, oh, are you having trouble sleeping? You know, if you come and look me up, come to the nursing station if you have problems and I'll, you know, we can talk. And Jane proceeds to go to the bathroom and nurse Robin goes to do her rounds. And as she is exiting one of the patient's rooms, she is immediately immediately grabbed by the, the the evil surgeon Colin and he shows that thing into her eye. Yeah. I mean, it's quick. I was sad. It's quick. I, oh my God. I was sad too. And I wasn't anticipating it. Um, I will say in the, the conversation between Jane and nurse Jessica, um, if I was a medical professional working in a mental institution, especially one where the doors are apparently not locked, for anybody's room, I would, out of concern, say to this patient, Jane, I am going to suggest, I'm going to recommend that you put on a hospital gown, a robe, out of fear that this co-ed institution, that some of the men here who are noticeably mentally unstable, might, I don't know, try to do explicit things to you. This is probably the worst place for you to be wearing this outfit. But no, this conversation, they have a conversation as though it is no big deal that this girl is in something that she could have just worn on a pole. Um, 
casual convo, come on by my office later, we'll hang out, done. Uh, but you know what? I respect that she doesn't judge her for her wardrobe, and uh, she's a very progressive woman. Sadly, she dies. She she does die. And the next day, uh, the next morning, Christian is looking for Nurse Robbins because, again, they, they were smitten with each other. You could You could totally tell that. And Jane immediately says, well, she's not coming back. And he was like, what did you say? Why are you saying that? And then Jane is immediately taking, taken into Dr. Swan's office so she can be hypnotized. And, and this hy- hypnotherapy works immediately. Oh, yeah. You don't have – she just stares at this, this pendulum swinging for about three seconds and it's, she's oh, under the spell she's of out. Hypno- yeah. hypnosis. Yeah. And he's asking her, what does she see? And she sees herself as a child playing on monkey bars. And this is when she says her name is Sarah. So we go from Jane to Sarah. And her mommy is coming to get her to take her away because her dad is has shown up. And the doctor is like, well, can you tell me about your dad? And she's like, no, I can't talk about my dad. We got to get away from him. And she starts screaming and carrying on and having a scene about as she is a little child being under hypnosis, kind of reliving this moment, she starts freaking out. So he snaps her out of it and she wakes up and she wants to know what, what happened. And so he basically tells her that, Hey, you know, your mother, when you were a little girl, seems like your mother took you from your dad, like kidnapped you. And that's where a lot of this, you know, memory repression is coming from because your father obviously did something to you and your mother when you were a kid and you're trying to repress it and your mother took you away from that situation. And all she can say is, I got to get out of here because this place really gives me nightmares. I, I, I can't sleep here. I'm having nightmares. And now this is as she's getting really into detail about kind of what she's feeling fucking nurse Kiger comes in. It's like, there's an emergency. One of the patients is, has gone berserk and is trying to kill the orderly. (laughs) So, and we go out and it's bud holding a knife or a scalpel to one of the orderly's throats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, regarding the whole sequence, the, the sequence with Dr. Swan, um, I, First of all, I love that the moment he snaps her out of her trance, she goes from like full panic to being like, what happened? <laughs> like Split second. Like she is in the midst of screaming and all of a sudden she's completely calm. I don't know if that's how hypnotherapy works. I've never had it done to me, but it is an abrupt change in tone. Um, I really like this. You know where the story's going pretty quick. It's pretty easy to piece it together. Um, I like it. I love that this character is kind of drawn to this location on purpose. And as you start to figure it out, you start to realize why. But, um, it makes for honestly a pretty simple story. It's only convoluted because of the execution, because it's kind of all over the place. But at its core, the story that, you know, Jane's journey and, and who she is and what her relation is to this location and what's going on here... I'm a fan, and I do like how they kind of give you in pieces, like as she realizes who she is and what her relevance is here, uh, you, you realize 
it's all coming together. From the earthquake moving forward, it all is happening for a reason. Um, especially down to the fact that she's found wandering the streets with no memory. Like, who know? was that all planned? Was that all intentional? Was that out of her control? You know, where did she come from? You never find out where she was prior. You know, how did she get there? So it's, it's intriguing. The storyline is intriguing to me. And when we get to this hypnotherapy aspect, which is visited a few times, I, I like it. I like how they're trying to figure out who she is. But yeah, uh, this whole sequence with the scalpel, Bub is restrained after trying to attack um, one of these orderlies. And as he's, you know, sedated and pulled away, um, the, the orderlies and the nurses are discussing how somebody broke in to the East Wing storage closet and stole scalpels, among other items. And they're suspecting it was him, when really we, the viewers, know it was the mysterious demon fingers. Um, while all this commotion is going on, Cheryl looks out the window. Cheryl, I'm sorry, not Cheryl. Cheryl is the actress. But Jane looks out the window and she sees that fucking doctor, like evil doctor, just waving. Just pleasantly waving, kind of like Forrest Gump style waving at her from across the lawn. She's seen him a few times up to this point, but he looks so pleasant. He's just full arm over the head. How do you do? And it just sends her into a tizzy. And, well, and we have to mention that the that Bud is like beaten to a bloody pulp by one of the orderlies before he's taken away in good old mental, mentally ill asylum fashion. Uh, yeah. So as Bud is taken away, he's put into a room and immediately the evil surgeon goes into Bud's room. Bud's on the floor and kind of sitting on the floor in style and sees the evil surgeon and starts like whimpering. And the next scene is the same orderly sees like Bud like escape, like running out of his room and running outside and obviously chases after him. And there are many buildings on this campus. So, Bud runs into one of the other buildings and there is an extremely long chase scene between with Bud and, or the orderly trying to run after Bud. It goes on for quite a long time. Yeah, it is. It is drawn out. Uh, the orderly who I believe his name is Jimmy. Uh, I, I know there's two orderlies. I'm pretty sure this guy's name is Jimmy from the conversation he had earlier with Jessica. <laughs> but, um, He's, he's, he's assuming it's Bub, or Bud, Bud. He's assuming it's Bud, but um, there's this, like, maniacal giggling laughter that you hear throughout the chase. So you obviously, like, you as the viewer know, okay, let's be real. Like, there's something more to this. So there's this whole, yeah, this whole long drawn-out chase scene where he's breaking through windows and climbing through glass. And finally he gets to the dental office in the abandoned wing of the hospital. And he goes down a series of corridors and, and sees Bud sitting in the dental chair. Um, and so he approaches the chair, and when he turns to see him, he realizes that Bud has the dental drill stabbed through his eyeball. It's a pretty cool effect. And obviously he, you know, the orderly reacts and takes off running, uh, climbing through the broken window and cutting himself and stumbling down the staircase and when he falls down the staircase he actually comes face to face with the body of nurse jessica whose part of her head seems to almost have been beaten in um she looks pretty brutalized so he, he flips out he's screaming and as he's reacting the demon surgeon 
Dr. Ramsey appears behind him and with the the with the belts or the straps on the uh, the the jacket the um what are those called straight jackets like, yeah with the, like the straight jacket he, he takes like the the straps of them and he grabs it and pulls it around his neck and he basically you assume he chokes him out strangles him to death yeah, yeah. i do love well, I, yeah I, i'm glad you mentioned that when when this chase scene is happening there are like moments where you see the figure running and you hear the laughter and it's basically it's a very childlike it's kind of creepy it reminded me of like the killer in hide and go shriek remember the furniture store when he would dress in the other characters outfits and, and the other characters would see him and he'd run away he'd be i don't know just it's very unsettling to hear that sort of laughter in this like dark abandoned insane asylum building that's supposed to be abandoned um yeah the orderly strangled um jane wakes up and again sees colin outside her window who he must just be leaving the building after killing the orderly and killing bud he and this time he has a severed head he's holding a severed head and he throws it at her, even though she's in a room and he's outside. He throws the um, head. It's a she's hallucinating basically, but she runs out in the hallway and falls and is picked up by a nurse who is a horrible actress. Uh, <laughs> this poor woman. She's. I wonder if this was like the director's mom and like he's like, mom, hey, you want to be in a movie? Because I love she seems. A cameo. To <laughs> he to- she seems to totally not know where she is or not know how to, to react to anything. It's hilarious. Well, and while she's trying to like comfort Jane or, you know, get her to calm down, Jane sees the vision of Dr. Ramsey at the end of the hallway, arms extended, mm-hmm. looking all powerful and grand with the, the dramatic lighting on him. And he starts moving in towards her and she's screaming and she's freaking out. And another orderly comes running up and they sedate her. They sedate her and they put her in bed. At this time, the doctors and nurses realize that Bud is, is missing. He's not in his room. There's a quick scene and it's never really explored or expanded on. You would think that it would be something that would cause these people to, you know, maybe freak out a little bit more than they do. But there's a scene where one of the doctors comes in with a plate that supposedly has a human body part on it and says that he found it in the lunchroom and everyone's very dismissive of it. It looks like it's like a liver or something. And he's like, this is human. And everyone's like, oh yeah, go back, go finish your lunch. And nobody's even- I love that Chris is, or Christian is just hanging out with the orderlies and the nurses, like just like one of them. He's like, (laughs) he's obviously so much more, I'm trying to think of the word for this. Like he's obviously not, you know, struggling with anything mentally. And his conversations he has with everybody, it's like he's like one of their peers. They treat him like a peer. Uh, I really like his relationship with some of these characters. I find it funny. But I do think that Nurse Kiger would, being a medical professional, like you think that she would be suspicious at this point because not only has Nurse Robbins disappeared, but now orderly uh, Jimmy or whatever his name is, now he's gone because they acknowledge that. They're like, where did he go? They say he's he's missing as well. He's just taken off. And so you think at this point with two employees being gone that somebody would be suspicious of something. But instead she says that they just took off probably to New Orleans. 
<laughs> but should they just suspect that they took off as lovers uh, and disregard it? Which, yeah. 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 That's what, that's what nurse Kiger says is, Oh, she just ran off with the, yeah. She just ran off with a guy. Yeah. And it's like, oh, so you're a bitch. after a brief nightmare, Jane wakes up, uh, is taken to Dr. Swan. And right before she has a scene with Dr. Swan, she's just like really short. It's almost like a flash of her in this padded cell. Um, and she starts panicking and she's, you know, she's in the straight jacket, she's bound, but they don't really elaborate on it. Um, it's almost like just like a transitional moment. It's strange. But so she, um, ends up going to back to Dr. Swan and she continues to voice that she thinks she was basically medically robbed of her memories through this surgery. And she's very adamant about it. And so it leads to Dr. Swan initiating a second session of hypnosis where she recalls more details from her childhood eventually resulting in a moment where she's actually possessed by Dr. Ramsey. She takes on his laugh and she starts to speak as him. And Dr. Swan is thrown off by it, to say the least. He is up against the wall, wide-eyed, freaking out. And when she comes to, she doesn't know what happened. And he's like, get out! And she's like, what? He's like, get out! (laughs) He is flipping his shit. Well, because he, because when she's recounting her, uh, this experience, she's basically, because he's asking her how she got in the park where she was found. And she says she walked from a hospital and it was the same hospital where she had her memory taken. And she said she was basically on a surgical table and there was a surgeon who was hideous and smelled like formaldehyde and had a hole in his head. And the doctor immediately knows who she's talking about. It's like, He's like, oh, shit. And then, she, yeah, she starts talking in Colin's voice, and he freaks out, tells her to get out. She leaves. He calls Nurse Kiger and, and tells Nurse Kiger to give her a double sedative and keep her under observation. Uh, and then he takes out a fucking massive bottle of whiskey oh, yeah, thought, and yeah. proceeds to start drinking oh, well, for the rest of the movie. Yeah, he's just drunk the rest of the movie. He's in his office just down in this whiskey. Jane goes to Chris and asks him for help, and he's kind of being a dick to her he's like why should i help you uh and so she tells him about the surgeon and he's does not believe her he's like you're a fucking nut and in the meantime sister claire is there throwing holy water on everybody and she throws holy water on jane and screams at her to confess 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 and for some reason i don't know why but this gets chris to like reconsider helping jane and He's like, well, yeah, I'll help you. Uh, I'll be at your room later. Don't take, don't swallow the pills they try to give you tonight. Another area where these medical professionals, quote unquote, are far too lenient. When they get to the sequence where she's actually taking her pills, and Nurse Kiger, who is much too pleased to be giving poor Jane a double dosage of sedatives, she hands her the pills. Jane swallows them. She takes the cup. She leaves. And then Jane just spits them out. Like, there's no, like, show me your tongue. There's nothing, like, nothing I would anticipate from an actual, you know, clinic of this sort. Um, nobody here is playing by the rules. Oh, no. Yeah, because at that night, she does not swallow her pill. She spits them out. Chris comes in and, and gets her. Uh, they And he he has to break out of her room with a piece of like bed frame that he broke off his bed that comes in handy throughout the rest of the film. Let me tell you, for a little one foot long piece of 
flimsy metal, this thing sure comes in handy. Oh, that bed frame is way too overutilized, though. Like that bed frame should break after the third blow against oh a my skull. God. It's just, but a, this yeah. bed frame is—it's the main weapon that they use to defend themselves. And oh, do they have to defend themselves? One thing I'll give them credit—at least they give Jane pants at this point. Like they do, at least for the rest of the film, say. Give the poor woman some clothing. Uh, she gets a pair of sweats and a normal shirt that doesn't show off her honkers. But, uh, I mean, at this point, we're about three-fourths into the movie. Yeah, they break. he breaks the door open with this piece of bed frame. And as they're getting ready to leave, actually, one of the orderlies grabs Chris, catches him, and pulls him back in. And he throws him back into a room and locks him in a room. In the meantime... Uh, Jane goes, runs out in the night by herself and goes directly to the building that she supposedly is scared to go to because she has seen the surgeon there, but she certainly does not hesitate to run in this building by herself. Well, she needs answers, Troy. Well, immediately she she gets answers because she sees nurse Robbins up at the top of the staircase calling her name. Well, calling her by Sarah. She says, Sarah. Mm -hmm. So you already know something's afoot. Nurse Robbins has her hair down. It's all messy. Oh God! And this is another amazing. This is another countless running scene where Jane is chasing after Nurse Robbins through the building. There's laughing. There's running. There's more laughing. There's more running. It goes on for about twenty minutes. You do see a lot of cutaways, though. Like they'll do shots where, like, it'll be in the motion of her running past a doorway, and then it'll cut to a shot of the surgeon standing in the shadows. It's a it's a very drawn out running sequence, but they do at least make it like creative with the cuts and and there's a lot going on. And every time they do have one of these long drawn out running scenes, at least they keep it filled with variety and you see a whole lot of shit. But yeah, so it's very clear that um, that Dr. Ramsey is is present and watching her and following her and that she's intentionally been brought here. Well, yeah, because finally she reaches a room where Nurse Robbins is in there and she's, she approaches her, but we it, immediately it's revealed that it is Dr. Ramsey holding Nurse Collins like a puppet. He, and throws, he throws the body down and proceeds to come after Jane. So there's more, even more running and more hiding and more running and more hiding until Jane finds Bud's body and runs some more and finally gets outside, but she falls outside and the surgeon Ramsey immediately grabs her, knocks her out, takes her down into the dead pit. Oh, she wakes up and she's, first of all, she's in a nurse's dress. I don't know how they got this on her, but the rest of the film, Jane is in a new wardrobe choice. It's a sensible nurse's dress. It works for her. It's the best, most resourceful move they could have made. Um, so she's tied to this table in front of the dead pit. And I've got to say, Troy, in my opinion, it all comes down to this. Once you get to this point in the movie, it is bonkers, but in the best way possible. They give you everything. They save it all for this grand finale. And what a grand finale it is. She's tied down to this table Dr. Ramsey is standing in the background, bathed in this lime green light, and it's very dramatic. And basically, there's a ceremony going on in which he calls upon his dead pit. And from the pit, the dead begin to rise. And we are given this 
really standout sequence of all of the corpses climbing out of the pit as now as zombies, really effective zombies, covered in blood. There, a lot of them have their brains, you know, their heads cut open, their skulls sawed open, and they crawl out. It, there's tons of them, and they basically start to bust out of the hospital and make their way across the campus. This sequence is intercut with a few other things going on. Yeah. For example, Chris is in his room pretending to be sick. And the same orderly who just caught him basically trying to break out of the hospital is not smart enough to to realize, hey, this dude that was just trying to escape is now saying he's sick. Maybe I should not open the door for him. He's probably playing a joke. But no, he opens the door for him, and, and Chris immediately knocks him out and gets out. He escapes. I don't think it's the same one. This is The one that gets hit over the head is mullet orderly. The other guy has... Mullet orderly. Thought- this guy has a mullet. The guy that gets hit over the head because he is... I mean, for being a bed frame, this guy is very affected by the blow to the head. He is sitting with an ice pack for the rest of the movie, just in agony. But there are two orderlies. There's the one that's sitting at the security station, and then there's the other one that's on the upstairs floor. So the one that's sitting at the security station is the first one to be killed off at this point. There are two of them. So I do believe this is a different guy. But either way... I thought it was the same one. He knocks this dude out, and he's down. He's down. He's down and Chris immediately runs to the other building and is able to find Sarah. But yeah, all the zombies, the zombie, the zombie stuff is really cool, really effective. Looks really nice. The, the, the practical effects are really good. Again, like you have mentioned, these extras that are playing the zombies are giving it their all. They're just, they're just flapping and flipping everywhere and just walking, you know, oh, yeah. straggling and dead limbed, wiggling and jiggling. It's, it's amazing. I, I loved this sequence. And, and honestly, I love the sequence yeah. carrying through the end of the movie. It really kicks it up to 100. Um, and there is this moment. There's, it's funny. Cause I wouldn't say this movie necessarily has a sense of humor, but there's every once in a while to have a moment. That's kind of like intentionally kind of like, a bit of a laugh and there is this sequence of these two security guards standing outside just bullshitting in front of the gate and while they're talking they don't notice this gigantic horde of zombies just like walk by in the background <laughs> and when they finally realize it's like too late and they're like oh shit and the zombies climb up on them and obviously kill them ripping out their brains it is graphic the one guy's head is busted open and you see the brain come out and it's like held up to the camera throbbing. Yeah, they're talking about donuts right before they get attacked. You know, they're, it's cops. They're talking about donuts. Yeah, and the zombies come upon them and just, uh, re- yeah, attack them, rip the one guy's skull open and rip his brain out. These zombies are really obsessed with brain. Yeah, I think it's part of the whole ritual, I'm assuming, that's having to do with the dead pit because they seem to be taking the brains with them. You don't actually see anybody eating brains. You just see them collecting them. Uh, Again, you don't get a full grasp of what the ritual is, but you know, there is some sort of ritual. Um, uh, Meanwhile, Dr. Kiger and the two security guards are in the midst of the conversation and talking about the fact that they basically need to act on what's happening because they're very low on staff. People are starting to disappear. So Dr. Kiger contacts Dr. Swan, who is now completely fucking wasted. He's just passed out on his desk. Um, But he comes to and he goes to meet up with everybody. 
and one of the security guards is killed off pretty quickly. His head busted, brain pulled out. Yeah, and Chris and Jane then are attacked by, now they're attacked by zombie Bud, who, Bud, who is now a zombie, attacks Chris and Jane, and Chris proceeds to beat him to death with that metal bed frame, which now you can totally tell is just like a piece of cardboard painted white to look like a bed frame because it's like Ben and it's like all crooked and everything. Oh yeah. But Hey man, every time he pulls that fucking bed frame out of his, his pants, I get weak in the knees. There's something just fucking hot about that guy. Just, he just reaches into his (laughs) fucking like elastic waistband and you always see like a shot of his fit torso and he like whips it out. And it's very like phallic almost in a way because he just got this big old fucking stick i don't know what it is it sure seems to beat these zombies down pretty easy in the meantime nurse kiger is walking around and she hears nurse robbins and this nurse robbins sure gets around for being a zombie because she hears her in the bathroom now and she opens the bathroom and lo and behold nurse robbins is standing at the uh bathroom sink looking in the mirror and turns around and she is bleeding from her head She's obviously a zombie now. She comes right at Nurse Kiger and grabs her by the head and squeezes her head. But it doesn't really show what happens to her. I, I, we're assuming that her... No, but she does that thing again where her jaw almost... its she When she screams, this woman almost looks like she's dislocating her jaw like a snake. Yeah. It was kind of just sort of a lame death scene for such a horrible character that you kind of wanted to see die. Because you don't get to see actually yeah, I, what happens to her. No, but the reveal moment, I actually really like. There is that reveal of her a little bit later with Dr. There Swan. is. It's real quick. It's a re- It's really quick. It's quick, but it almost... We'll, we'll talk about it. We're almost... Yeah. Because but, um, Jane and Chris are outside now. They're trying to get in cars, but they realize all the distributors have been taken out of the car. So apparently the zombies are mechanics and know how to take out distributors. They're attacked again. By- but Chris even says, yeah. he, he even they, says, he's like, these dead sure yeah, are he, smart. Yeah, there's a little comment about, <laughs> they may be dead, but they sure are smart. They're attacked. They run again, more running. Uh, Swan, then this is where Dr. Swan hears what it sounds like a baby crying. And he opens the door. It's like g- gagging. It's gross. It's like. Yeah, it sounds like it sounded like a. I mean, it sounds like someone's deep throat. Yeah, I don't know. It sounded like a baby, but he opens the door and then Nurse Kiger is there, and she is holding a brain, <laughs> and she like comes at him. She's like, Bleh. well, the whole, the whole. First of all, the audio is to me. I thought the audio was very unsettling. Yeah, and when he opens the door, they film it almost with a kind of like a fisheye distortion to the lens that gives the bathroom almost like a shining kind of vibe it feels very much like the scene in the shining where jack nicholson sees the woman come out of the tub and she's walking towards the camera because they do the same look for when you see doctor uh, when you when you see nurse uh robbins as well because she actually does the whole thing where she's walking towards the camera reaching towards yeah. it and it just it, it definitely was to me almost like a shining nod but now this time when they open the bathroom door the walls are covered in yeah. blood and it's I mean, it's a quick moment, like you said, but I thought it was really creepy. It just, I don't know. These zombies, like, there's not really any rules to them, but um, I don't know, man. I, I think they make a lot of really cool choices with the execution of a lot of these sequences. And yeah, this is a very simple kill sequence. You don't see what happens to her, but it, it, it made my skin crawl. 
Yeah, it is creepy. Uh, there is then uh, Jane when Jane and Chris are running outside. There is this really cool demons, like I said, demons inspired shot of the, a horde of zombies coming after them. They're like coming up over a hill, and they're they're just the way they're lit. It's very reminiscent of the zombie the zombies coming out of the theater and demons. That's kind of the iconic shot yes. that you see on the front of the. Uh, the the box art or the back of the box art where you just see the back they're backlit with this glow and they're just you just see the shadows of them it's the exact same thing so it's really cool yeah these zombies yeah there's really no rhyme or reason or rules to what they do or what they're after uh but they are pretty relentless they are pretty gross they are pretty scary i mean they're they're these zombies are out to kill i mean they're they're not they're running they're not just staggering around these zombies are running full force towards people yeah and there's a few shots where they're they're really easily dispatched. Like that's the one thing I'll say. There's a few times where like Christian does fight some of these things, and it's almost like they're too easily defeated. Uh, but aside from that, I think they made a lot of good choices about what these things are and how they look and how they move. And it's just uh, it really just elevates the finale so much having these things in it. Yeah, they're chasing everyone through the building now. Uh, the three of them lock themselves in a room. The doctor now confronts Jane about her talking like Colin Ramsey earlier. And he says, you must you know, be connected to him. And then he gives a brief little story about how Dr. Ramsey was doing research there, uh, trying to figure out the various causes of insanity. But it caused him to become basically insane and evil. And that the earthquake then must have opened the seal. So we get this kind of spoon fed to us, what we kind of already figured out. And that he's come back for revenge. The earthquake let him out. The doctor is like, I have to kill. I have to be the one to kill him again. So he takes his gun and goes out of the room. He leaves Jane and Chris there. He does have a moment where, and I love it when movies do this. He actually does a title drop where he, <laughs> he's like, and I killed him. And then I sealed him up in his dead pit. And he says the title of the movie, and I was like, yeah. But yeah, um, real straightforward exposition-laden delivery, giving you the whole spiel of what you need to know and why things are the way they are. And then, yeah, he takes his gun. He easily manages to take care of about three zombies with a couple of bullets. And like these bullets work wonders on these zombies. They're sent flying. Um, but he manages to take off and he leaves the other two behind to defend themselves. And they, yeah. And so they leave the room because when he opens the door, he just leaves it open. So they get out before they're attacked. And as they're running out, they see all the zombies in like the rec room, all basically holding brains and like just holding them. They're all the patients. And it's just, yeah, it's all patients from the hospital that you saw earlier. Like everybody is a zombie now. So the numbers of zombies are growing. Yeah. And they're they they're holding various brains. Uh, they are attacked by one that Sister Claire comes out of nowhere. She's not a zombie yet. She throws holy water on it, and it melts. It proceeds to melt in this very like fun Evil Dead type melting claymation sort of effect. It just like dissolves and melts its face off until it's a skull. There are a few face melts in this movie that are phenomenal 
I mean, like, this is very much of the era. It very much has a claymation-y kind of vibe to it. Some of them actually look like they're deflating a head made out of latex. But, God, it's so fun. It's, like, it's right along the lines of what you would expect at this point. And this movie just, it gives you everything. I mean, everything. So, and but, I mean, the, the holy water... <laughs> twist wasn't really prepared for it did not expect that to take a christian angle i also didn't even think this nun was really a nun i just thought she was crazy but lo and behold this woman has the power to bless and bless she does because this nun becomes very prominent she proceeds to bless a tub full of water in which they collect the water in plastic bags and use it as a weapon against the zombies and then they proceed to develop the most elaborate plan I've ever seen, involving Sister Claire blessing a, a local water tower in the distance. And, like, Christian's like, do you think you could bless that water tower? And Sister Claire's like, I say the prayers. God does the work. And it cuts to this sequence of, like, shit's hitting the walls. And Sister Claire is just standing in this window, arms raised up above her, saying this, like, Gregorian chant. And I'm like, is this shit actually going to work? Like, I did not expect this shit to work because it seems so out of left field. But, well, you'll see because shit happens. It's so far-fetched. <laughs> but uh, in the best yeah. way possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Sister Claire proceeds to tell them that, you know, because he asks after she throws the holy water on this zombie and he melts they're like what is that she's like it's holy water and sister clara proceeds to basically tell them that holy water can make desecrated grounds whole again so this is where they get this idea because there's a the big city water tank is right behind the asylum and they get the idea that she if she can bless the water in the water tank then chris can build a bomb because remember he talks about the reason why he's been put in the asylum is because he likes to blow shit up. So now he just needs to go find uh, some material so that he can climb up to the water tank and blow it up so that it actually falls onto the building and then floods the basement, the pit, with all the holy water to kill the demons. It is the most elaborate plan ever conceived in a horror film. I, I mean. Love it. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. And my thought would be just run, like get out and run away from these things and just go. But no, they want to blow up the water tank. So yes, Sister Claire proceeds to bless the water tank. In the meantime, back in the pit, Dr. Swan is already down there. He confronts Colin again and tries to shoot him, but it's caught by all the zombies. Um, and he puts a very little he put oh god this dude he's tied to a the the he's tied to the table and Colin Colin basically tells him hey I'm going to cut your brain out and Dr. Swan is just laying there nonchalantly and he says don't cut my brain in the most like non concerned manner possible don't cut my brain if i were in this dead pit tied to a table by zombies who are doing the bidding of a crazy surgeon bathed in green light who has glowing red eyes lest we forget we haven't even acknowledged the fact that the the lead he has red eyes and oh how they glow whenever he's present he has the very obvious eyes always in the background so if i were in this situation i would be 
panicking. I would be wiggling. I would be squirming. I would be doing anything to keep that doctor away from my brain. But yeah, Dr. Swan is very blasé about the whole thing. But it does lead to a very, very elaborate sequence in which he has his skull removed, revealing his brain. And the surgeon basically does like a, like a, uh, what is it called when you do like that kind of a needle therapy where people poke needles in you for comfort and relaxation? Acupuncture? He does like acupuncture to his brain. Yeah. Yeah. He does like a full acupuncture. He's oh, giggling. he puts like 50. Ne- oh, it's yeah. And 50 needles in his brain and he's just giggling away. And uh, it very reminiscent of like the scene of from uh, Hannibal uh, where Ray Liotta has his skull cut open and they're poking and prodding it and he doesn't know what's going on. And he's just laughing. And yeah. So, but after he has all these needles in um, the brain, he basically disposes of it. He just like pushes the body like one into the pit. He just rolls into the dead pit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, as we mentioned, we knew that Chris's background is, a bomb specialist or whatever he was, was going to come back into play because you don't drop that tidbit without making it relevant again. But I am baffled how they managed to find the supplies to make as elaborate of a bomb as they do. Like he doesn't just build like a, like a makeshift bomb bomb. He makes like a massive chunk of TNT with like the whole accoutrement that you'd expect. It looks like a legit, like something you would get in the army, but whatever. I mean, apparently this is his background. He knows what he's doing. But on top of that, Jane also manages to find like a shotgun in this hospital. Again, I don't know where or who had a shotgun. I guess maybe back in the day in the eighties, they gave like the security guards just like double barrel shotguns. And were like, have at the patients if they get too rowdy, take care of business. It does not make any sense, but nothing at this point makes any sense. So I just don't question it. They get to the water tower and Chris proceeds to climb up the water tower and tells Jane just to stay there and to keep keep her eye out on it. But as he's climbing, they see the horde of zombies coming right towards the water tower. Because at this point, the... Ner- or R- Ramsey is kind of caught wind. Colin Ramsey, Surgeon Ramsey is kind of caught wind of what their plan is. So he sends the zombies after them. Chris tells Jane to run, you know, to run away and he's going to proceed to climb up the tower. So she runs back into the um, hospital and she thinks she sees sister Claire standing in the middle of the room doing a prayer, but it's Colin he turns around and this is when she basically has flashbacks of who this really is, which we get to. In the meantime, Chris has made it up to the water tower. He lights the fuse of the bomb. Somehow a zombie has already climbed the ladder and is there to attack him. We cut back and we realize that, or or I should say Jane realizes that this guy is her father. She has a flashback of meeting him on the playground and her calling him daddy. And so she says, daddy. And he's like, yes, you're my daughter. You're my flesh and blood. In the meantime, Chris has knocked the zombie out and knocked it off the water tower. And as he's celebrating, 
He forgets that he's already lit the bomb and the fucking water tower blows up with him on oh it. Oh my God. Christian sacrifices himself in the most glorious way possible. Right before the explosion, he has a moment where he's like, yeah! Like he, he finally has like one final like, I got to blow one last thing up. And he like hoots and hollers and then boom, this massive explosion. And we cut to a miniature sequence, which I love. I love a good miniature sequence. Because I'm like, how else could they have done this? But they they do it. They pull it off. Of the hospital with the water tower in the background blowing up, and you see this whole thing collapse, and the water just start gushing everywhere through the building. It is... They give us everything. They give us the whole shebang. Oh, it's hilarious. Because you can totally tell it's... it's it's mo- They're just... It's a model... It's a model set that they're using, but bless them for for doing it because it it looks it looks ridiculous. But it's I mean, come on, how yeah, like you said, how else are we going to do? They made the most of this budget. You get a scene of the water tower tipping over and the water flooding the entire building, gushing out of the windows, and, and it's so obvious that this is just a miniature dollhouse uh, built for this. But I want to say this is the okay, this is the fourth fourth movie in a row. Roger, where we have had a male character who has been done wrong with their death. Yeah. And we had the pool with Mike played by James McAvoy. We had, uh, what was the one we did after the pool? We did the nun. Um, the nun. We had, uh, what's his name? Father Gabriel. Yeah. And then I'm thinking there's one more I can't think of, of a, of a guy who was killed, kind of done, done, done dirty. However, so this is the third third film in a row where we've had where the one of the male the male lead is killed off when he should have lived. He absolutely should have lived, but hey, at least somehow, some way, I do not know fucking how the plan manages to it work. Worked. Like it works. Like I guess Sister Claire ge- genuinely blessed this water tower because the demons are all. Defeated. Everyone starts melting. I mean, this finale, they're all melting, and the, the, the Dr. Ramsey has the most dramatic face melt of his, them all. His face shrivels inwards like it's like a fucking raisin in the sun, and it, it becomes like a husk of its former self, and he just, like, collapses. Uh, it is so much. It's really quick, because what I... I mean... It, Trust me, by this point, I was ready for the film to end because we're going on this. At this point, we're going on about the one hour and 50 minute mark, which is way too long for a film of this nature. Yes. But what I feel like it, it cut short was the the sort of the confrontation between Sarah and her father. This is what the film kind of builds up to. This is what the film hints to the entire running time of, of Sarah trying to re- figure out where these memories and these hallucinations and these visions are coming from what they are. We as a viewer have been piecing it together. So at this point, we know what it is. Their confrontation is literally about five seconds before he's dead. He's killed. There is is no, there is no confrontation. There's no her trying to get him to explain what, what has happened, why, why he's done this. There's nothing. There's nothing. It's basically, yes, you're my daughter. Oh, you're my dad. And then he's dead. Yeah. We have no idea about their relationship. Why? How did he even have a daughter? What did he actually do to her when she was a kid to make her mother run away? 
And how did he, because she is acting like her memories were just stolen from her about five minutes before this movie started, right? That's what we're supposed to gather. How did he do this when he was cemented in the basement of this asylum the entire time until this earthquake happened? Nothing is explained. I was really disappointed that there wasn't a confrontation, that there wasn't an opportunity for them to to sort of have a battle. I mean, basically, she did nothing to kill her father. It was all Christian. Yeah, she even has a shotgun and she doesn't really like use it. No, she doesn't. Oh, she doesn't do anything. This is okay. This is the third film in the row of a worthless final girl. Can we say that? That that is does not save herself because Sarah did the same thing. Let the guy kind of do save her until she got the nerve to stab him in the neck with the Gregor in the neck with the bottle. Last week we had that fucking what was her name? who ends up being the killer, but just stands around through the whole movie being like doe eyed and not affected by anything. And now you have this Sarah who's a competent actress, but really does nothing for herself throughout the movie, except run in her panties and lets Christian blow up himself to save her. I wanted a really good confrontation between her and her father. And what you get is he dies right away. And then you get a scene of her becoming possessed and the film ends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there's one thing that I found interesting that they didn't capitalize on, and I wish they would have more. And it was this moment when she's about, I mean, there's a moment where she's about to go. Christian tells her not to follow. He says, stay down there. If you see them coming, I want you to run. And she starts to follow him. But as she starts to climb the ladder up to the water tower, she starts to have the flashbacks again. And I found it really interesting that all of the flashbacks are parallel with the actions that are occurring right now. Like you see her climbing the ladder and it cuts to her as a child climbing up on the the playground. Um, And then she, you know, he, she, she finally listens. She takes off running when the zombies are coming and you cut to shots of her as a child running, you know, her feet running. Like it's all kind of like repeating in the ways the incidents were happening in her flashbacks. It's all kind of the same actions taking place. It's it's triggering these memories, you know? Uh, so it's all starting to kind of make sense to her. She's finally starting to have this realization. As these things are happening, it basically unlocks her memory of, of who her father is. And I really liked that. I thought they were going to maybe capitalize on that more. And she has this really awesome shot where she runs into the um, the surgeon before he reveals himself, where she's like bathed in green lighting and he reaches out to her and she takes off running. And that's when she finally encounters uh, Sister Claire or who she thinks is Sister Claire, you know, but yeah, it did seem like he was going to build up to this big grand finale. And instead it just ends up with her kind of cowering in front of what we knew all along, her daddy. Um, and if it wasn't for Christian saving the day, she, I don't know, would have died or something, but it doesn't even matter because after all this happens without even thinking, she just picks up the ring that we saw at one point on the doctor's hand puts it on and her eyes go red and it's over and that's the end. And it really is like a, one of those unnecessary cliffhangers where like, I really wanted them to defeat Dr. Ramsey and have like a day where she and Christian were able to go finally, I don't know, make love in her panties or something. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted a a positive ending for these two because Christian was such a likable character and she was honestly, aside from like some shoddy writing at the end, a well-played character as well. 
She was. She was. Uh, yeah. I mean, in the film, I've, yeah, for the, for the length of the film, you know, I do feel like it could have been trimmed down quite a bit and that they really could have amped up this final confrontation a little bit. I mean, but at the end of the day, it's a fun film. It, it, it really is something for everyone. It's one of those rare films that kind of blends genres together. Like you don't see that happen a lot. Uh, it is a zombie. It is very much a zombie film. It very much is a, you know, a slasher film in a sense with the, the doctor killing off people. Uh, it's very much a mad scientist type of film. So it's it's a blend of these different horror subgenres that are put together and I love the concept. I love the idea. I just feel like some of it was a little clunky. Uh, and if they would have maybe tried to make it a little bit more cohesive for things to fit together a little bit better than just kind of throwing all these things together and seeing sort of what sticks, it would have been a much better film. And again, the film, I keep saying this, but it was my big problem with the film. The film needed a an editor that was not afraid to cut shit from the film. Because it is, yeah, yeah, I can absolutely. It see is that. quite a bit too long. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It it could have used a skimming, or you know, if they would have kept it at the time frame, it would have. I would have liked if they would have skimmed, skimmed out on five minutes of running footage and devoted it instead to five more minutes of finale devoted to Jane slash Sarah realizing who she is and standing up to the force of evil that is her father instead of just cowering in front of it you know like uh, after this whole journey she's been on of kind of reclaiming her memory and who she is i would have loved to have seen this character have stood up as a strong powerful woman especially because she's so over sexualized in that wardrobe i would have liked to, to, to have seen her throw that to the wind and been like fuck off and pulled out that shotgun and blasted his head off i don't know something but instead she just drops shotgun and you know she kind of it falls into some tropes but Tropes aside, I mean, my God, this movie, like, the last 15 minutes of this movie, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. It is just over the top in every way. It's balls to the walls, absurd. The lighting, the colors, the zombies, the head melts, the nuns doing chants, the water towers exploding. Like, it just, it, it gives you so much. And for, like, what I'm assuming the budget had to be for this movie, I really think they went above and beyond. And I would highly recommend this to fans of a lot of genres. Not saying it's the best movie you're ever going to see, but like, fuck, this is one I can imagine getting ripped off my ass with a bunch of friends, opening a case of Trulies, and fucking getting buzzed and just watching this movie and cracking up because it is... It's a lot of nonsense, but it's just a fucking good time. <laughs> I agree. It is. It is. And there's plenty of opportunities in this film for you to get up and grab another truly and you're really not going to miss anything. So that's yeah. another plus. But no, it's competently made. It, it, it's very atmospheric. Uh, there are some generally creepy scenes. Uh, so, for, so for a first time director out of the gate, this was quite the, the feat. And I, I really enjoyed it. Again, minus some of the issues I've mentioned. I, I can't believe it's not more revered in the horror community. I've never, I, 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 I never seen this before you chose it. I have to say that I'd never seen this film. I remember the VHS box art in the, in the, um, in the video stores, but as a kid, I was never a zombie fan. 
So I avoided it because it looked like a zombie film. And I was during my, you know, heyday of the golden era of the video stores. I was a pure slasher enthusiast. I wanted all the slasher films. This film is very much a slasher film. I wish I would have known that. I would have seen it years ago. Uh, So I don't know why it's not more well-known. You never see this film talked about. I think maybe it's because it is such a hodgepodge of different subgenres and it came out super late in the 80s. This was 89 when people were basically tired of horror films between from like 88 to 96 before Scream came out. There wasn't a lot happening in the horror genre. Uh, yeah. So it was kind of a stale genre, minus like Misery, Sense of the Lambs, New Nightmare, those types of films that came out and, d- and were somewhat successful. The horror genre was pretty much dead. So I, I, I can see why this sort of came and went. But it definitely is one that needs to be revisited or visited if you've never seen it. Check it out. It's I think you'll have a blast with it. Definitely. Definitely. And I think like part of the reason what you just said of this movie kind of going under the radar is I think there's a few things. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Late eighties, it it came out just at the tail end of the horror craze and um, probably just kind of got swept under the rug. You know, I don't think people were as, as into the uh, sticky kind of horror and gore slash them up fun that we enjoyed from that era. You know, I think at this point people were maybe getting a little tired of it. Um, I would kind of say this almost has in some ways like Night of the Demon vibes or, I mean, it's hard to compare it to anything, but the movies I'm thinking of that I would categorize it with were a few years prior to it. So I think people, I think people might've taken a look at it and and maybe saw the trailer or I I haven't watched the trailer. So I don't know. I'd have to watch it to see what I think it reminds me of, but I can see people like thinking it was just sort of like a, from a, from the trailer thinking it was like a generic return of the living dead ripoff. You know, you have a lot of similarities between return of the living dead in this film. So I could see people like, oh, I'm not going to watch that. It's just ripping off Return of the Living Dead. But it's such a, it's a fun film. Check it out. It's dead bit. Oh, yeah, definitely. And one other thing I do want to say is what, you know, touching on what was said earlier about some of the wardrobe choices. If you look at a lot of the promotional material, um, they do often use the imagery of Jane in that outfit and at times tied up in the outfit, which gives this movie a classless kind of almost like a snuff porny kind of uh, just low grade sexualized horror that I would almost categorize with like a slumber party massacre, you know, and this movie very much is not that aside from the one scene we mentioned in that outfit that sticks out like a sore thumb, this movie has a really like specific story that is not dependent on the sexuality in any way. And it's filled with lots of fun moments and fun creature effects and great gore effects. And I think, though, this is an example of of, a product that may have been misrepresented or hard to label. Like you said, like how do you categorize this movie when it is so many genres? So, you know, if you if you see a lot of the poster art or box art, I think it maybe didn't do this movie a favor. But, yeah, that's just an expansion off what you were thinking. And, yes, I do think that if you're just if you're a fan of any genre of horror. You should seek this title out if you haven't seen it, just to say you've done it. Because there are worse movies that get way more attention, and there are movies, far lazier movies, that get way more attention. Oh, this this oh this movie is not lazy. This movie had a lot of passion and energy into it. You could totally tell. I mean, there this it was meticulously shot and put together. Uh, 
like you mentioned, things right down to the extras, totally doing, putting their all into it. And again, I can see that because some of the box art of this film do, the box art is of her, uh, the main character tied to the, um, the shower with her arms above her and just her skimpy outfit. And, and that's such a minor minuscule, almost irrelevant scene in the movie. So I can see why people would re- get it thinking that they were going to watch some sexy, you know, sexy horror yeah. film. And it's totally not that, but, but yeah, guys, check it out. If you haven't seen it, if you have seen it, let us know your thoughts on our thoughts about the film. You know, we always appreciate you commenting on our posts and everything. So that was 1989's dead pit. AKA, the Dead Pit. The Dead Pit. If you like this review, guys, I don't even know why we bother fucking saying it anymore, Troy. I'm a scorned podcaster at this point. I plead and I beg and I yearn for reviews and we ask and we ask and all they do is take, 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 take. Yeah, guys, we... We need some of those Apple podcast ratings and reviews. Right now, we only have one actual written review on our Apple podcast, which is sad. We've been doing this for, what, a year? Over a year now? Come on, guys. Year and a month. Uh, just give us a little bit of love. We know you are. We love you. We love you guys. We love even you. Even if you insult us. Yeah. <laughs> even if you just, well, I mean, no, not really. But you know what I'm saying. God, just leave us something. Makes, something. Scraps. It'll make us happy. So yeah, so next so week Troy, maybe that maybe they will get it's all you. Maybe they'll get happy over next week's selection. I don't even know what title you actually decided on. Oh, I mean, I'm going to tell we you. Talked right about now. options. I'm going to tell excited. you right now because we, you know, here's the thing: is I'm going, I'm going back to my my. I'm always going to go back to my slasher roots. Although, if I showed you my list of uh my my list of kind of choices for upcoming episodes you'd be very surprised because a lot of um, them i'm kind of i'm trying to like get away from a lot of the slasher stuff even though that's my thing but because i want to do other other things so i have a lot of titles that i think you'd be very surprised by but for next week i'm going to go back to the 80s and since this one our, our review for the dead pit focused so much on fashion uh i want to talk about an 80s slasher flick that Definitely is replete with 80s fashion. And me and you certainly could check out some of the outfits and probably look pretty damn good in them. We are going to be discussing, Roger, an 80s slasher flick. And it is none other than, because you know we, we both know you and me were sorority girls, right? Oh my goodness. Are you going to say what I think you're going to say? <laughs> We are going to talk about the 1986 slasher flick, Sorority House Massacre. Stop. Are you fucking kidding me? I had no idea. That is that is my pick. You fucking king. God love you. A classic. You know, I thought about it. It's it's I'm a little about a month late, but it's almost back to school yeah, time. We have all the all the college freshmen going and and pledging and and, and their sororities. So it's like, what a you know, this is a nice little back to school type of 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 film to review, and it's one that I wanted. I've been wanting to revisit for a long time. I I always remember the box art in the video store of like the girl in her lingerie and the hand with the knife, kind of outside the window peeking through the blinds. 
it's it's one of those films that came out, you know, it's Slumber Party Massacre, Sorority House Massacre, kind of all these massacre films that came out and they all kind of had in common at the time as they were directed by women and you really didn't see a lot of slasher films directed by women. So this one is directed by a woman, Carol Frank. Uh, so I am very much wanting to talk about it with you because again, much like this, the fashion in Sorority House Massacre is a sight to behold. Yes. I mean, I don't think anything can compare to a crop top and a thong, but no. you know what? You're, you're damn close. We're damn close. And next time Troy and I are together, we will absolutely be doing a promotional shoot in the attire worn by Jane in uh, The Dead Pit. And but, I got to um, mention, before we, before we go, because I do want to wrap up here, we're going on two hours. I do want to say two things. One, I know, I know last episode we said that our next episode was going to be the early 2000s slasher Ripper. We had to postpone it. it. We are still doing it. We are getting to it. Trust me. We just had to postpone it this week for viewing reasons. Um, I thought I owned the DVD. I did not. I could have swore I did, and I do not. Roger has the DVD. I tried to, it's not available on streaming. It's not available anywhere. So we are working through that. I'm going to get a copy of the DVD. We are doing that because it absolutely must be done. We have the queen AJ cook that we must talk about. Secondly, I wanted to go back a couple episodes to the pool because one of our listeners corrected me and I have forgot to mention it the last episode we recorded. I appreciate being corrected. I, I, I really do. I had made the mistake of in the pool episode saying that James McAvoy was Irish. He is not, he is Scottish. So that is my apology, even though that is one of our, actually Roger, I haven't told you this. That's, that's already one of our most listened to episodes. And only one person actually commented and said that he was, I had it wrong. So thank you for that one person. The rest of you obviously thought he was Irish too. So fuck off, whatever. Uh, he's Scottish. <laughs> I man that owns up. He's Scottish. And another thing, Another uh, guest listened to that episode and stated uh, that um, if you watch the ending, there are two characters that we thought just were never revisited. But if you watch the ending in the background, you can see the two characters in an ambulance, which is that a lackluster conclusion? Absolutely. But is it a, an answer to our question of what the fuck happened to them? Yeah, I guess so. I'll take it. Am I happy? No, I'd rather they got gutted. But yeah, I did. I didn't see yeah. them at the end of the film and I did not bother to put it back in to see if I saw them. I'm just taking our our viewers words for it because a lot of times they know these films probably better than we do, even oh, though yeah. we watch them several times before we do the episodes. But yes, so that's the two things I wanted to say. Ripper Letter from Hell is definitely yeah. going to be upcoming episode. And I'm sorry, James McAvoy, for saying you're Irish, you're Scottish, which makes you even more fucking sexy. Sorry. Oof, I love a Scott. Yeah, love so it. that was it, guys. Um, again, give us some love on Apple uh, Podcast review or whatever app you listen to this podcast on that you can give us a rating. Please do; we appreciate it. Yeah. And we will see you next week. Next week, sorority house massacre. Iconic. <laughs> Troy, have a wonderful evening. You too, Roger. And all, all our listeners, you guys have a wonderful Troy's birthday weekend coming up, okay? Ooh, what a hair to leave it out. <laughs> have some drinks for me, guys. All right. We will Big see five you. <laughs> oh, close. We will see you next week. <laughs> all right. Good night. <laughs>